Welcome to the Association of Applied and Therapeutic Humor podcast, LaughBox. We have multiple hosts and multiple guests and multiple ways to think out of the box using humor. LaughBox is a production of the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. Visit us online at www.aath.org. Follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Music by Gary Rubio. For more information, www.garyrubiomusic.com. Join us for episode 94 with Jim Bob Williams, KDB, and special guest Dr. Heather Walker, CHP. This episode is a repost of Heather's Lead with Levity podcast. Enjoy! Welcome to the Lead with Levity podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Heather Walker, and I have the pleasure of speaking to two very wonderful people today. I'm looking forward to this. We have Katie B. McGlynn and... Williams. Katie B is a joy and play coach, as well as a professional clown, which we haven't had a professional clown on the podcast. So I'm excited. She's also the founder of Joy First Foundation and co-host of the AATH Laugh Box podcast, which this episode will also be airing on the Laugh Box podcast. And today we also have Jim Bob. Jim Bob is a therapeutic humorist, recovering engineer. Why are you a recovering engineer, Jim Bob? Well, I spent 35 years as a wastewater engineer. Oh. <laughs> and like, so like I was poo-, poo water. That's me, yeah. Maybe poo okay. to you, but it's bread and butter to me. And we just, okay. But I was in a, <laughs> I worked for two, actually three very large corporations. And I found that if I could use a sense of humor to make uh, corporate life bearable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when I finally retired and got active in improv and stand-up comedy, you know, I realized that there was another way of looking at life other than some of the wonderful management theories that I was exposed to. That's what I'm recovering from. I'm recovering from the application of misused management systems. There. How's that? Mm, Okay. 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 I have so many jokes and I'm just going to hold them all in. (laughs) Eat those jokes and hold them all in. (laughs) So let me finish. (laughs) Let me do your intro. Recovering engineer. And now we all understand why. He is also the owner of Jimu Show LLC and co-host for the Laughbox podcast. And another exciting thing about Jim Bob, y'all, is he recently sold his first joke to the Reader's Digest. So congrats. Very exciting. Thank you very much. (laughs) Yes, yes. And thank you for having me on your show. Thank you for joining me on the Lead With Levity podcast. I'm looking forward to this episode. It's time for a sneak peek. Sneak peek, sneak peek. If you have a framework, okay, you know what you can't go beyond. You can focus your attention to making this stuff good inside. We have a picture frame, right? Okay. You know, the painting can't be any bigger than you know, two foot by three foot, because we've got this boundary there. Okay. So we have to make sure that we have everything we want in that. Okay. So if you have a boundary, like the humor has got to be clean. Okay. All right. Well, that makes you make work harder to fit in that beauty of a top 10 list as a format for a joke. You only have 10 jokes to come up with. And now on the show. Take a moment to step back, pick up your marbles and choose to lead with levity. Join us on the Lead with Levity podcast for fireside chats that will fill your bucket and help you get back to being the leader you were meant to be. Now, here's your host, Dr. Heather Walker. Welcome to LaughBox. We're the official podcast of the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. Today's guest is Dr. Heather Walker, who specializes in making the workplace better. Her organization, Lead with Levity, is a leader in bringing all kinds of ideas to the workplace to make life better. And who couldn't use more of that? I'm Jim Bob Williams. And I'm Katie B. Okay, so let's explore how to make the workplace better, among other Mm. things. Yes, yes, among other things. (laughs) I'm looking forward to it. So tell us, uh, Dr. Walker, what do you prefer? I have lots of names, Jim. Okay. And I, I answer to most of them. So you can call me Heather. You can call me Dr. Heather. You can call me Miss Heather. You can call me Dr. Walker. I will answer to all of it. Okay. Very good. I too have a a number of pseudonyms out there. I'm Jim Bob Williams. Uh, I live in West Virginia, but I grew up in Brooklyn. 
Mm. Okay. But I grew up in the south of Brooklyn, so I think the Jim Bob nickname is appropriate. Yeah. <laughs> That's it's a long all, it's story, all good. I'm, I'm, I'm originally from the Bronx. Really? Oh, oh. okay. Yes, okay. I was I was born in the Bronx, raised in Texas, and all of my family is still up there. Okay. Do you know where AD Avenue is? A-D-E-E. No, I don't. Okay. Because I until I was seven, I lived in a housing project on 666 AD Avenue. Yeah, how's that for sounds like something out of the exorcist? But it was a good oh, time. Yes. Yeah. yes. Halloween must have been amazing over oh, there. It was a good neighborhood. Yeah, quite the place to be. Uh Uh-huh. Speaking of, so I'm going to roll it back. Back in October, when we had Halloween and all of that stuff, there was a house near my kid's school that had a house-sized octopus coming out of it with tentacles (laughs) and everything. The big marshmallow man from from Ghostbusters? Yeah. Oh, right. It was the size of the house. And this is a two-story house with a big marshmallow man in front of it and the tentacles. It was amazing. And I was just thinking, we got to go there for Halloween. We got to get all the candy because I bet that they that's the house. That's the place where you want to be. Absolutely. And you have to. You just have to. They did so much work to draw the kids, to draw the people. They really did. I don't know how people do it. I can barely decorate anything for any of the holidays. I'm not even going to lie. I'm just like, can I wash my dishes this week? If I did, I'm happy. Going above and beyond that and adding lights and characters and all of the extra stuff, I, I just don't have time. <laughs> I, I understand. I understand. Decorate myself, but not necessarily my house. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So I think I cut you off before you got to ask me a question, Jim Bob. That's okay. I'll just jump back in here. So the first question I'd like to ask is you picked the name of your company, Lead with Levity. How, why is that? How'd you come up with that, that idea? Ooh, well, funny thing. So I didn't know there was already a book out called Lead with Levity. And when Miss Karen Buxman <laughs> reached out <laughs> to me, I was like, oh no, did I <laughs> infringe on a copyright or a trademark or something like that? But she reached out to me just as a friendly, hey, there's someone else in this space. I think you're doing cool things. And I want to get you connected to the Association of Applied Therapeutic Humor, which was awesome. I actually created the company called Lead with Levity because I studied levity in grad school. And I picked it up. I put it down. I walked away. And then I came back one day and said, you know what? there's still benefit. There's still something here. There's still something really special here. And I want to create something that is special for organizations and for people. And I could call it Walker LLC, but there's nothing special or exciting about that. But when you hear lead with levity, people perk up and they go, Ooh, what's that about levity? That's interesting. And what does that have to do with work? do you want us to just play at work? And I say, no, I don't want you to just play at work. Although if you do play at work, you're going to benefit from it. (laughs) I want you to work in the kind of place where you feel safe. You feel like I can contribute here. I can have fun here. I enjoy the people I'm working with. This is a good environment. This is the kind of place where I can thrive and the people around me can thrive. And that's what Lead With Levity is all about. I've always found that workplaces where people are bantering with each other, enjoying each other's company, always more productive. It sounds odd. I used to do regulatory compliance audits. Okay. <laughs> hey, there's a background for a career in humor. But anyway, right. regular compliance Did they put audit. you in the, the extra cold room or the extra hot room, the room with all of the furniture in it? <laughs> yeah. yeah <laughs> the most uncomfortable environment possible. Yes, I've I've seen some warehouses and some other places that are kind of fascinating. But what I found was that if I used humor, it helped ease the barrier. It was made less of an adversarial relationship with the people who were being audited. But I also found that the ones that had a a sense of levity, let's use the word, yeah, about they were doing, they generally had better compliance. They generally had better record keeping. They were enjoying what they were doing. And, And you know something? It's really fun. 
when you have a you know the EPA or a state agency come in, do an audit, and they you know they can't find any significant non-compliances, everybody feels great. That's okay. right. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's all I'll say. Compliance can be fun. Even yeah. dirty jobs can be fun. Hazardous jobs can be fun. You know, the medical profession can be fun. And I, I recently was quoted, shameless plug, shameless plug. Is that okay, Jim Bob? No, go ahead. Yeah. I was recently quoted in a New York Times article in the well section. And the article is all about you should be doing more of this in your life if you want to live a, a happy, healthy life. And I spent some time looking through the, the comment section and just combing through the comments, which you're not supposed to do. You're not, if, yeah. if you're part of the article, you're not supposed to go into the comments because that could be a, a very scary place for, <laughs> yes, yes, if you're attached. So I went and I did it anyway. And I was actually really impressed by some of the stories that people were sharing. Mm -hmm. And a lot of these stories were stories, humor helps them get through their marriage and not in a like get through my marriage, but my marriage is what it is. It's a great marriage because we use humor and my job is better because we use humor. And people were talking, a lot of the comments were actually pretty morbid about cancer and being on, on death's door and all of this stuff. But I was able to get through it because of humor and I don't know how I would have gotten through it if it weren't for the jokes that I tell and the way I've been able to see the lighter side of the situation and joking with my nurses, joking with my doctor, joking with my family. And that was really encouraging to me because sometimes people will say, well, there's no place for that. Or, or the place for that is the comedy club. The place for that is yeah. the playground, if you will. And it's not allowed, it's not supposed to be in more serious environments, but those are the very environments sometimes where you need humor the most. So it's something that, that I think about when I'm thinking about the context, right? The context for humor, what's appropriate, what's not appropriate. Context is so important. And yeah. what's funny to one person might not be funny to another person. And I'm going on a rant, but, but it, I'm it, it is. <laughs> Go ahead. No, I'm with you. I'm tired of it. What I used to say is, you know, take the work seriously, but never take yourself seriously. Yes. Which is kind of tricky, right? Yeah. So I'm a recovering serious, I call myself a recovering serious person. <laughs> and I'm, I'm always trying to walk that line and figure out, okay, Am I taking myself too seriously? Am I allowing joy into this moment? Am I overthinking this? And even thinking about, am I overthinking this could be overthinking, right? So how do you, how do you do that, Jim Bob? How do you do that, Katie B? Like, how do you not take yourself seriously? What does that look like for you? Go ahead, Jim Bob. After you. Okay. So, so I, I have moments, I'm a clown, right? So I, I end up in, I have clowned for terminal children. I've clowned with suicidal veterans. I have clowned with people in much worse situations than I could ever imagine myself. This past weekend, for example, I spent with a friend who's a Venezuelan refugee in Chicago Mm -hmm. who is trying to find out how to stay out of Venezuela and the guns pointed at her and the bullets flying over her head and she can't study, she can't work. She, she's in a pretty tough situation. And yet I've known her for 20 years and we laugh all the time on the phone. And to th this weekend, we laughed and we laughed and we laughed and I gave her kazoos and gave her kazoos for more refugees. And I said, you know, these are these moments. These are the most important moments of bonding, of lightening up difficult situations. And this is what it's about. And those moments, I just need more of those moments. If I'm down, mm. I wanna look for an orphanage to clown for. If I wanna, look and talk to people that are struggling because it puts me in perspective and it's huge 
to take a minute, get outside myself. I'm going to plug a little thing. I just finished reading while I was driving, actually listening to the Book of Joy, which is the Dalai Lama and Desmond Tutu mm-hmm. meeting before the Dalai Lama passed away. And there's so much information in that book. And it's so much about how to cultivate joy in your life and keep it light from the masters, right? And what's coming up the 13th of November is the Global Joy Summit. And the first day is going to be showing of a film that shows Desmond Tutu and Dalai Lama in the creation of this book. And I'm so excited. I can't wait Mm. because there are exercises at the end of the book and it's meditation. It's positive thinking. It's focusing on the positive. It's going and helping people that need help. It's putting perspective on your own situation. There's a mountain of great information in there. And I do meditate every day, twice a day. And I do exercise. I do yoga and all of those things contribute to trying to take myself a little less seriously, even though those are very serious things. (laughs) (laughs) They are. Can I ask a quick follow-up? Sure. Okay. So I have seen and read the research about perspective taking and how important that is when it comes to, all right, when I see that there are other circumstances out there that I would not want to be in, that makes whatever kind of challenge that I'm going through today just pale in comparison. When you're as a clown going in and working with someone who is in a really challenging circumstance, what is the cue to you that it's okay to use humor? Wow. Okay. I follow the leader. The leader is always Mm -hmm. the other people. I always come light. I come ready to listen. And I have a yes and attitude. One of my favorite stories is a 99-year-old Air Force pilot who was ill and his caretaker contacted me and asked me to come in and give him a one-on-one telegram of fun. (laughs) And when I arrived that day, you know, all these options, and they had told me the night before that he had, they said, he's really not feeling well. I don't know if you're going to get in. And I said, it's okay, figure it out. And I had brought a couple of hats to choose from, balloon animals. He was listening or singing a song about bubbles and they didn't know what it was. So I prepared Don Ho, tiny bubbles, thinking that was the answer. (laughs) So he chose over a cow hat and an Air Force pilot, you know, mock hat. He chose the Air Force pilot hat. I made him a balloon airplane and he wasn't really going anywhere with it, but he was taking the airplane, you know, he was kind of out of it, really. He had oxygen, he had a blanket up to here, up to his neck, and bruises on his face because he had fallen down. And I played Don Ho on the speaker. Didn't do it. And I thought for a minute, I think I heard a song when I was doing the bubbles research. I think I heard a song from the 20s. So I quickly downloaded it, and I put a tiny little speaker up to his ear, and he left the room. He did a jig under his blanket, and he smiled. And he went into this place that none of us knew he could go to. And to me, his humor came out. He was in the room with us and out of the room in this past experience. And we were all crying because it was so beautiful to see this person who they didn't know if he was going to, you know, come back. They didn't know if they were going to be able to connect with him again. And we found this place of pure joy. (laughs) It makes me emotional now to think about. Well, he passed away uh, six months later and his caretaker sent me an email and she said, he said that was one of the best moments of his life. And I said, him, oh my gosh, you know, there I am a 35 year old clown with a 99 year old pilot who's had all this experience. Who is it more important to? all of us. It's about listening, experimenting, getting close. Is that okay? Stay keeping some distance. Is that okay? What do you need right now? Thank you for sharing that, Katie. That's really powerful. I love that, you know, it's not just for others. It also benefits us as well. Absolutely. I'm actually a survivor of domestic violence. (laughs) 
and clowning saved me as much as it saved suicidal combat veterans. You know, mm-hmm. I know the power of joy and levity and, and humor in what it can do for us. I know it firsthand. Yes. And I think that's kind of where we all sort of stand. We're disciples of this. And then we go out and say, okay, what's the research on it? Yeah. <laughs> right. So yeah. that I can communicate this to other people and they take it seriously. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So good. Uh-huh. Okay, Jim Bob, it's your turn. <laughs> well, I was going to say poop jokes, but after your answer, that just, that kind of that works. <laughs> oh my gosh, is that golden poop you just showed yes, us? Yes, it's, a, it's <gasps> from Japan too. Yeah, wow. my son went to Japan and he found this, and he thought I could appreciate it as a wastewater engineer. And I said, <laughs> "You're right." Yep, that's okay. the best thing I've ever seen. Wow. So, but in, in answer to the question of, of how to use humor. I think sometimes the first thing is incongruity. If you bring something where it's not expected, you can often elicitate a laugh. So this this brass poo here that I have, it sat on my desk, okay? And people would come in, and especially when I was a boss, a manager, (laughs) they would come in and see that, and that would be a sign to them that I was going to be different than their last boss. I had to be. Okay. Also found that if you took existing structures as the framework for your joke, use it as an icebreaker. For example, I would start training sessions with a top 10 list. Okay. Again, you know, taking the format from Letterman, but doing that. But my feet would have a regulatory compliance or a wastewater engineering feed. You know, signs your wastewater treatment plant is upset or uh, signs that you really didn't understand your permit conditions and things like that. And, you know, people would laugh because they weren't, ex- especially when the auditor comes in and says, right. Let's talk about it. They're like, oh, we can actually kid around with this guy up to a point. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. As long as we're keeping it professional, you know, we can we can joke about the circumstances, but we can't joke about, you know, each other. We can't be cruel to each other. But at this in meetings with EPA, you know, I found the common bond would be we were both in organizations that had a lot of paperwork, procedures. So we could make fun of the process about you know how absurd it was that some of these regulations sat around for years in the formation, okay? And they were somebody's highest priority. Well, yeah. How much of a priority can it be if it just if it takes fifteen years to you know, to process? Anyway, so again, if you look for those moments of incongruity that you can laugh at together, now you can start you know, having a conversation. But I think also to agree with Katie though that. The audience decides what's funny, and you have mm, to follow mm-hmm. their lead. Okay. And a couple of times, I opened with a opened with a joke, or what I thought was a joke, and there were crickets chirping. And I said, "Okay, <laughs> it's time to move on to Plan B." But you have to, you know, you have to make that pitch first. Try to come come with levity, come with friendship. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And sometimes just acknowledging that, oh, that wasn't funny, can become funny. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And people can really appreciate that you're self-aware enough to know that that wasn't funny. (laughs) I had fun with one group that was, I don't know, they didn't know me. I didn't know them. Every meeting I'd been in with them was kind of very formal and tense because it was right after a merger and everybody's kind of feeling each other out and saying, you know, and we used to have this, you know, we'd have a safety and culture moment where somebody would talk about something related to safety to get in our mind because safety was very huge, very huge issue. Mm-hmm. Okay. But it was a Friday afternoon for a three-day weekend. So things were kind of, I, I thought, what the heck? Yeah. So they said, okay, so who's got a health and safety moment? I raised my hand. Jim Bob, what's your sex? He says, you know those signs that the janitors put out that say wet floor? They don't really mean it. And the group went, started laughing. There was this moment of, I can't believe he said that. And then it was, oh, we got the joke. And boom. And after that, the atmosphere and the, and the meeting went really well. Yeah. So, so again, I think the joke was definitely lost on me. I would have had okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I need yeah, more context. Okay, but... well, if you have to explain it, it doesn't work, right? I know, but, I know, go. it's so okay. sad. But I can appreciate that in that scenario, that joke yeah. was hilarious. Yeah, if the sign said wet floor, 
Okay. Okay. And I say, well, they don't mean it. I mean, they didn't mean wet as a verb. Okay. 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 Like don't pee on the floor. That's what I was going for. It's actually for. wet. Yes. Oh. Yeah. The dog wets the tree. The dog wets the wow. fire. Okay. Mm. Like I said, I was wastewater engineer, so wastewater related. Katie, uh, Katie B, Katie B, did you get that one before I, I did? I did not, but it means it's a command, right? Wet right. the floor, wet the floor. Yeah. Do it, wet floor. <laughs> I love that. Sorry, did okay. I wreck it? No, that's fine. Because <laughs> that's what got me, is that it's a command. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> So we can, we can edit that one out, can't we? Yeah, listen to that. Like or we I said, can keep it in, only... you know. Right, wet floor. <laughs> there, are so, there are 52 different ways that you can wet a floor. Yeah. There you go. Yes. Okay, so the next time you're in a, you know, you'll be in a 50-story office building and you're going to meet with a client and you'll see a janitor has put up this, that sign, you'll break out laughing and they won't know why. Okay. That's true. It is true. Yes, I can't unhear that. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, I'm a recovering engineer. I haven't got there. I haven't gotten all the way there yet. But... <laughs> all right. Now, one thing I like about the fact that you use the term levity as apart from humor. Okay? Because, and I know that people with uh, in the field of applied improv, trying to use you know, improvisational techniques for training and other things, sometimes they have a problem with clients because... When they think improv, they're thinking whose line is it anyway? They're thinking of mm -hmm. a comedy show, whatnot. What they don't, you know, what they don't get is that that improv is a tool and a way of thinking. Yeah. So some practitioners have to change it. They can't call it applied improv, but they can call it experiential learning. Mm. Okay. And so if you when I like the, the approach of adding levity to the workplace, because if you said you're adding humor to the workplace. Sometimes the purchasing manager is going to say, you know, I'm not buying a, you know, I'm not buying a comedy show here. I'm, yeah. Exactly. And, and one of the challenges with humor, humor in and of itself is sort of agnostic, right? There's, yeah. there's humor that can heal and there's humor that can hurt. And I was trying to get at the aspects of it that are more beneficial to a person mm -hmm. as opposed to that second side of it, which is the dark side of humor where we're using, and I understand there are uses for dark humor, for self-deprecation and all of that stuff, but levity isn't necessarily about that. And so it's just an easier fit within the workplace. And I must say, I love your podcast because I always come away with something that I can use. That's every good. Episode. I press the guests for something. Like <laughs> we need something small that we can practice. Yeah. And some of the guests are like, well, you, you got to go buy my book if you want that. And I'm like, that's not small. That, <laughs> that takes time under seconds. I need a tip. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. So thank you, Jim Bob. I appreciate that. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. I'm, I'm stuck for words, which is, that only happens once every seven centuries or something, but anyway, I digress. Okay. <laughs> I know it's like, in one thing, I, when I'm listening to anything, a podcast or, you know, a TED talk or, you know, even a sermon, okay, I always ask, how can I use this on Thursday? Yeah. Um, yes. And personally, if I walk away with something that I know I can use Thursday, you know, to help, help me with a problem, to help me with a relationship or help, you know, then yeah, that's, yeah, that made it time worth spent. You know, I love the reference to Thursday in particular, because to me, Thursday is that day when you're crawling, right? Yeah. So we've got all the energy in the world on yeah. Monday, like I'm ready to tackle the week. <laughs> let's go, let's do this. And then, you know, Tuesday, you're, you're hitting a little bit of a stride by Wednesday, you realize I signed up for too much. It's hump day. Thursday, you're crawling, especially if you started the week strong and you've got all that energy and, and you expended a lot of energy and then you're just kind of throwing away your time. Like I'm just waiting for Friday to roll around. So I love the reference to Thursday because for me, for the longest time in my jobs, Thursday was one of the toughest days of the week for me. Mm -hmm. And I was just looking for anything 
to help me through the rest of my week, to give me a little bit of hope. And so I love that reference to Thursday because you're right. If you can find something that can get you through to that next place that you need to be, sometimes that's all you need in life is that one little thing that can give you a little bit of hope, a little bit of laughter, a little bit of joy, a little bit of extra to go on to that next place that you need to be at. If I can share, after the Clown Vets, which is actually a video on YouTube you can watch for free, when these veterans learned how to clown and realized the power of clowning for them, they had a lot of social anxiety. And they found that if they wore a clown nose to go grocery shopping, they felt better because the people around them were smiling and they didn't have to say anything. They didn't have to approach anyone, but they created smiles just by walking through the grocery store with their nose on. And Hmm. I want to give Kathy Grippy some credit because I've also discovered the power of the kazoo. You can have an argument with a kazoo (laughs) and it's a whole different experience. You can, (laughs) you can, ask for a drink at a bar with a kazoo if that's what you do. And it's that these small moments throughout the day that are affected by small things that really aren't so small because of the quantity of people that can find a little bit of joy in the moment. Right, right. And what brings you joy, you have to figure out what that is. And I know for me, what brought me joy throughout my day when we're talking about those small things. I don't know if y'all are familiar with Pandora. Are you familiar with Pandora? Music yes. Service? Yes. Music service. So I envy kids these days because they're growing up in a time when everything is on demand, anything that you want access to, you can pretty much access for free on demand, whenever you want it. We just didn't have that growing up. So you had to either be able to afford it or you had to wait until you could get some kind of a hand-me-down or you Mm -hmm. could get access to it somehow or wait until you were in college to learn about this magical thing that you needed. Well, for me, comedy is something that I didn't get to experience until I was an adult because comedy clubs have that like, I think 18 or 21, you know, age range. And a lot of the comedy specials weren't necessarily kid appropriate. So so I had to wait to get to experience this. But once I did, I really, really absolutely adore stand-up comedy Mm -hmm. for the power that it has to give me a new perspective and take something that's mundane and basic and just a part of my everyday experience and turn it on its head and make me look at it in a new way. And when I was going through a really hard time in my life, I used to go for walks and I still go for walks. That's my thing. And at the time I was better with my walks. I would do like 10,000 step goals. That was my thing. And I think 10,000 is a good goal. Now my phone is just like, can you just get up and do 500 steps, please? Like if you can do 500, I think we're going to be moving in the right direction, Heather. But at the time I was on my way, I was doing a lot of moving, but my challenge was I was thinking too much about all of the things that were frustrating me during those walks. So those were stress walks and I didn't feel any better at the end of it. I was fit, but not like mentally or emotionally feeling any better. And then someone made a recommendation that I start a Pandora station with a comedian that I could not ignore and that I would always find funny. Those were the two criteria. I could not ignore, which means I can't just start thinking about other things. Like I have to pay attention, always funny. So it would shake me out of whatever I was, whatever funk I was in. And I started a Cat Williams Pandora comedy station because that little man makes me laugh all the time. Like, I just can't. And that one thing helped me through a really hard time. Every single day, I'd go on my hour-long walk and I'd listen to Pandora. And by the end of the day, when you talk about those hard Thursdays, I actually had more energy than when I started the day because of that one practice. So I'm always encouraging people to find that one thing 
that, you know, you have to pay attention and you're always like, it's going to spark some laughter and some joy out of you and make sure that that's nearby because that is, that could be that one thing that gets you through your Thursday. Oh, that's terrific advice. Yeah. yeah Sirius XM has four stand-up comedy channels. Ooh. My personal favorite is the comedy greats because it rolls through all of the comedians that we know at our age, <laughs> 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 including the, you know, Eddie Murphy ice cream stand up, oh. which I could hear a hundred times yeah. and mm -hmm. Roseanne Barr and our classic favorites. It even goes back to Groucho Marx. Wow. And so as I'm driving yeah. a lot of times, if I'm not listening to an amazing book, I have one of those channels on because there's four channels. I can switch between them and lock in to the one that I want to hear in the moment. Mm, I love that. I love that because, you know, different comedians will give you a different flavor and depending on your mood, you might want something a little bit more intellectual. You might want to listen to Dimitri, yeah. Dimitri Martin, like, okay, let's talk about the triangle and how funny this triangle is today. Or <laughs> you might want to listen to Richard Pryor and think about the social political nature of life. And, you know, so depending on where you are, <laughs> I think it's a good idea to have options. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Music. I just want to open up the door of music too, because mm. I think music can really lift us as well. And there are funny musicians, but there are also yeah. lyrics that are meant to simply lift our mood. Yeah. And I have a lot of playlists that have those types of songs. Music is really powerful. I took my team once to a self-care conference and it was an all-day conference. And I didn't know what I was getting into. I didn't know what I was getting them into. I had one team member walk out halfway through because there was an improv portion of it and they had us embracing people in the audience as if long lost lovers as and they were like no no not today <laughs> you do have to you do have to read the room when it's a professional event and people yeah. are bringing their teams and i remember at the end of this conference and it it was it was a self care conference so we learned about the science of self care we we learned about some practical things. Like I said, there was improv there. They had Reiki. They they did healing through dance, which is what I'm about to talk about. The last session was a, a session that was facilitated by a healer who, it was like free flowing dance. And she had us out there and we're just moving like this. And, you know, I remember looking and I, as a manager, I didn't know how to feel because I was having a little bit of fun, but at the same time, I was still trying to check in, like, are they okay? Am I okay? Are they okay? Am I okay? This is weird, but it's okay because we've spent eight hours of living in the weird. And at this point, we can't hold on to seriousness anymore. I'm getting into it. I'm free flowing all over the place. <laughs> we had so much fun at the end of it. We did debrief and even the one who walked out on that improv activity enjoyed the experience. And I think that it's really interesting. I, I love what you said earlier about following the leader, listening, checking in, because you have to have some level of safety. People mm. have to feel yeah. like I am safe here. No one's going to judge me and I can be free to do whatever feels natural and what comes naturally to me. And it's going to be okay. And I don't think we were 100% there because we didn't know what to expect. But by the end of the day, we were there. We had released all of our, all yeah. of our expectations and we were there. But I'm wondering how can we get people to a place where they can feel that sooner? It doesn't take an eight-hour immersive conference where you're doing a whole bunch of weird things <laughs> to where you finally say, okay, I surrender. And I feel like AATH's conference can be like that as well, where it's, it's multiple days and it's very out-of-the-box fun sessions that are different and unusual. 
And by the end of it, you feel like, okay, I surrender. I'm a new person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 But how can we create that safety sooner? You know? Yeah. I mean, hmm. I did a team building workshop for colonial life and it was a, so it's a bunch of insurance salespeople and my job was to do a talk about four pillars of management, which I did by showing juggling and hula hooping at the same time oh, <laughs> and nice. open the door that way. But I also, I had them do air band, but I, they didn't have a lot of time to prep. They didn't know it was coming. So there were things on the table, list of songs to choose from, and they had to make a band with their table and you know the safety part was a lot of it because who was able to let go who wasn't able to let go who trusted their neighbor at the table you know all of this was i didn't necessarily deal with that and so i was going to bring up this idea of safety they did participate they did enjoy themselves and they did not i didn't see anyone complaining i did see some hesitation at the beginning some, you know, how are we going to make this feel good? How are, and, you know, a little bit of performance anxiety, <laughs> which mm. I did manage to allay, you know, that we managed to put that aside. And I think safety is gigantic because the bonding yeah. that can be done in these situations that can offer a really nice, deep, even office relationship is so important. Mm. But what are the pillars towards safety? What are those, you know, when you're running track and you're jumping over a hurdle, what are those hurdles to safety? Well, one thing that's interesting is when you laugh together, you're more likely to be vulnerable and to feel yeah. like, okay, I can be vulnerable with this person because we have, that breaks down a lot of those barriers, those social barriers. So getting them to laugh sooner can definitely help with that. I agree. Yep. Yeah. The juggling and hula hooping had some giggles in there. So that's kind of started sure. to open the door. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For sure. I think understanding the times is critical to how you do the safety because, or how you make the atmosphere safe because there any of the observation, everybody's different because you'll have you know, people in, especially in times of great change. You're having a merger. You're having a reorganization. Everything is top survey. If you remember the book, Who Moved My Cheese? You know, mm -hmm. The cheese is going all over the place and they're trying to keep the brie in order there. So you have to find out what's safe for that individual person. There was one person I worked with and they were very, very tense about it because they had just gotten this job. They didn't know if they were going to have, the, have that job after the reorganization. And they asked if they could speak to me alone. And I sat in the room with them and they were getting very worked up. I reached into my pocket and I found a clown nose. I didn't know I had it there. Okay. I put it on and I said, does this nose make my face look big? And the person looked at me and they were like, they just burst out laughing okay? because they were so wrapped in the tension of the moment that, you know, mm -hmm. and, and after that I said, okay, we got that out. Wait a second. Okay. Then we started, were able to talk about what was really bothering them. Okay. And I was able to hopefully put their mind at ease that they were going to, yeah. They were a very good person. We did not want to lose them. Yeah. Also, conversely, uh, another ob observation in that, yeah, in, in terms of making things safe, yeah. sometimes like you have to test the waters first. So you have to be the one that opens up the possibility of using humor. If you do that, they're okay with it. And then also sometimes, <laughs> once you've opened up the door to it, sometimes you have to be the... Uh, you have to fall on your sword. Fall on your sword or the sensor, <laughs> as it were, right? <laughs> like, okay, it's fun to make joke about, you know, the smells of the sewage treatment plant, but it's not fun to, you know, insert the improper example here. So some people that they, they saw that the door was open to some fun, so they presumed it was open to all fun. All fun. Yeah. So, yeah. And that sometimes that maybe that's a challenge for a, a manager using humor. Yeah. Like a, uh, that's a good point. <laughs> yeah. And you know, I think that's where ground rules are really important or rules of engagement, rules to the yes. road, <laughs> yeah. agreements, if you will, and putting those out there up front and making sure that they also contribute to those rules. You're not just telling everyone these are the rules that we're going to follow, but then also making sure that, that they are 
rules that they want to follow as well, that this is what they need for safety too. Sometimes it's good to have a, I'll call it peer review, as it were. Mm. Uh, there, I, I did have one friend in the HR department, and if I had come up with something that I thought was really, really funny, but really didn't know if it crossed the line, I could run it past them. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it was a little bit of collaboration there. Sometimes the end result was funnier than what I had come up with in the first place. That's a kind of, well, of course, another improv lesson here, the gift of limits. Okay. Ah, the gift of limits. Okay. Let's talk like, about the gift of limits. Okay. If you have a framework, okay, you know what you can't go beyond. You can focus your attention to making this stuff good inside. We have a picture frame, right? Okay. You know, the painting can't be any bigger than, you know, two foot by three foot because we've got this boundary there. Okay. So we have to make sure that we have everything we want in that. Okay. So if you have a boundary like the humor's got to be clean. Okay. All right. Well, that makes you make work harder to fit in that beauty of a top 10 list as a format for a joke. You only have 10 jokes to come up with. That's true. That's okay. true. And if you make it, or you can make it five, you can, you know, the boundaries can also be elastic depending on the circumstance that you find okay. yourself in. But as you agree, I think it is important to have those rules of games, to have those limits understood up front. And then people can, you know, people can relax because they know where they're, yeah, they know what the expectations are. If you go too free right, form. They're free to play within those boundaries yeah. at that point. <laughs> we can play in the sandbox, but only in the sandbox. <laughs> only with That's the sand. <laughs> very, very good point. So, you know, I was watching a YouTube video that you sent earlier that real, and I hope we include a link to this, by the way, it takes all kinds of humor research and just boils it into a nice, a nice YouTube video that's easy to watch, fun to watch. And there was a piece of it where they were talking about the difference between the survival mind versus the adventure mind. Mm -hmm. And this is not a technical term. There's no part of your mind that is the adventure mind, just so you know. <laughs> it's just, they were talking about it in terms of like the survival mind is your practical side. I'm realistic. I'm adulting. I'm following goals. I'm doing everything that I can to not get into trouble. I'm trying to stay safe versus your adventure mind where you're free to play. You feel like I can be free to be me and be free to explore my interests without being worried about getting in trouble for it. And they were talking about how some people have gotten to a point where they're so socialized um, because that a part of that is socialization to be realistic, be practical, you know, don't get into trouble, that they haven't even given themselves the opportunity to explore and to be more adventurous. And I'm trying to remember where I was going with this, but I think I was going to say something about how important it is the gift of limits. To me, that connects directly to that survival mind versus that adventure mind, because mm-hmm. once you give someone those boundaries, then they can say, okay, I know if I go outside of these boundaries, perhaps it's no longer safe for me, (laughs) but I can play within these boundaries and I can be free within these boundaries. And I've noticed that when facilitating workshops and things like that too, that sometimes people, they crave, they crave boundaries. Even when I'm, I tell them there are no boundaries, no limits. That is almost scarier than me giving them some guidance and some boundaries and some limits. I will tip my hat to Izzy Gessel. He's a a long-term practitioner of applied improv. And he has a wonderful debrief on the exercise to the game story one word at a time. Yeah, that when you give, when you do the game story one word at a time where people are saying one word at a time, trying to create a story, obviously, okay that they, when you tell them that they only have to do one word, it's very freeing because they just have to do, they don't have to write, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, don't have to write a novel. They don't have to write a short story. They don't have to write a paragraph. They don't sense one word. And then they find they can do it. And then it gets more fun. And then you see the pace pick up as a crowd is learning to use that. Time. 
And so that gift of limits frees them to be creative within that space. And I, I think especially, that. yeah. And maybe this is something we can apply this to onboarding or something. When people hire into an organization, yeah, you don't know. Sometimes you might know what's in the handbook, the employee handbook, okay? but there's all kinds of unwritten things that, uh, you know, sometimes you have to find out by the school of hard knocks. Can you say more about that, Jim Bob? Oh, sure. Example, I'll give two cultures merging. Okay? And one culture is very rule-driven, okay? that you have to have procedures and policies and the other one, the other culture is more, lack of a better term, you know, expert driven. You know, you listen to the person that has the experience. So, you know, you got a problem? Well, talk to somebody who's got experience with it. In the other organization, you got a problem? Well, how does this match the procedure that we're supposed to go against? Yeah. So, so that, that's, yeah. and sometimes how do you get around it? It's kind of like translation. You have to learn to put your ideas in the format that other culture accepts, okay? And sometimes you have to play to get there. So, for example, one organization, they're complaining that, oh, well, why do we have to put everything in a procedure? Okay. So I said, and this was an over-the-coffee-pot conversation. So I said, well, why don't we have a procedure for how to make coffee? Okay. Like, what do you mean? So, so we, we went in, we used the same format and templates and diagrams. And I said, this is how many scoops of coffee that you use. This is, you know, the, you know, this is how long the machine had to be turned on to get the water to the right temperature before it came in. And so a little after a while, you're having fun with it because you're writing this procedure tongue in cheek. But then it's like, oh, yeah, it really does help to know what's going on. And so, oh, okay, now I'm really rambling here. But just well, it's okay. I was going to piggyback on something that you said earlier. Okay. So you were talking about experience-driven versus sort of procedural right. cultures and sometimes how you have to translate. But then you were also talking about the improv game, the one word at a time mm-hmm. and, and this idea about taking small steps really resonated with me because sometimes people feel like And I think it works with the onboarding example as well. Sometimes you come into an environment and it can be overwhelming. So I'm at a happy hour. I'm at a new company. I'm at an event. I'm at home with my family. (laughs) Whatever it is, you come into an environment, you feel overwhelmed. You want to have more fun, but you're not really sure how or if you're doing it right. Right. And And there's a lot of sort of self-judgment and everything that goes along with that. And if you're able to take it one, one thing at a time, that one word at a time concept. So bite it off into small chunks and just say, okay, what is, what is that one thing? Again, going back to my recommendation earlier about figuring out what is that one thing that will make you laugh and that you can't ignore and bringing that back up in those, those hard moments that might be just the thing that you need to relax enough to enjoy the moment and and to learn a little bit about that new company, to meet new people at that event, to enjoy time with your family. So I, I love that. I love that concept of the one word at a time and using bite-sized concepts, bite-sized sort of chunks to, to tackle this Am I funny? Can I be funny? <laughs> Can I enjoy life? Like that's too big. Can I enjoy life? How do I enjoy life? How do I have more joy? Like that's too much. How do I laugh right now? What is funny right now? That's that's a lot smaller. And if I can do that right now, then I can do that five minutes from now. I can do that five hours from now. I can have a great day if I can just take it one step at a time. Also with onboarding as a, applying an improv principle is one improv principle is to embrace failure. So something goes wrong. You say, okay, well, I learned something for it. I'll apply it next time. Yes, and, uh, definitely. So, so some, walking into a new job, you don't know if you're going to be given a grace period. So sometimes one thing you do is you know, set up a space to allow people to fail in front of friends. Yeah. And I, I, you know, just kind of like when people go to Toastmasters for learning how to public speak, you know, they're getting critiqued, but they're getting critiqued by a friendly audience. And so they can go back and use what they've learned in a, in a more serious speech. So and, and some of the, some of the best ways to do that is to, you have to set up 
Yeah, and and you have to live by. <laughs> if, if you say that anything that's said in this room is you know, confidential, is, is confidential, you got to keep that confidential because if it this leaks out, you're going to be yeah. This is Vegas. I I used to use that. You know, this is Vegas. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. But we all know that stuff leaves Vegas. Some things don't just stay in Vegas. Yeah, what stays in Vegas gets shown on TikTok. So yeah, right. (laughs) I do. I want to approach just briefly the concept that each business is a different culture and merges and acquisitions and all of this is two cultures or more coming together. But I also want to just acknowledge the number of people coming from different cultures, different Mm -hmm. lifestyles, different countries, different places, different everything Mm -hmm. that make up those companies and how the culture affects the company, but the culture of the people also affects the company. And creating that safety and creating that levity is it's really important to be sensitive to all of the cultures to allow for empowerment versus disempowerment or more negative humor because somebody from a different country is not necessarily going to hear the joke the same way. Right, right. So, you know, when we're thinking about culture, we're thinking about the value, the shared values and beliefs and, and practices and sort of ways of doing things that should this is how it should happen here. This is this is what we do. This is our standard operating procedure, if you will. And Katie, be going back to something that you said earlier, when you're going into a new environment, you want to observe, right? You want to take some time to, to read the room. I'm using air quotes, y'all. You can't see yeah. these. Uh, you <laughs> yes. want to take some time to read the room and pay attention to what you can see because most of culture is is under the surface you can't see it you feel it but when you first come in you want to pay attention to what you can see what you can hear signage what they're talking about what they're joking about what they they tell you because that's what you have to go off of and then how they're behaving around you Mm -hmm. and then as KDB said you start to test little small tests you know Jim Bob's work environment would be very different than uh, a marketing firm in Seattle somewhere, like probably completely different cultures, completely different jokes, but they're still telling jokes. They still want to laugh. They still want to have a good time. It's just a matter of figuring out what do they value? What, what is important to them? Quality is important to them. Safety is important to them and following processes is important. Well, how can we play with those ideas in ways that are new and interesting, right? So, so reading the room and, and figuring out who am I playing with today yeah. and what is important to them and let me test some, some little things to see if I say this, if I do that, how are people going to respond to that? I'm not going to come out with my manifesto all at once. Like you, you have to start with the small ideas first <laughs> before yeah. you dive into this is me and I'm out and I'm here and all of that, you know? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Until you know it's safe. Yep. How do we know it's safe? That is a really good question. Is that a question mm-hmm. for me? Yeah. There's the, there's the, there's the short term. I know it's safe because we're laughing. I know it's safe because I didn't get a fine. I didn't get a letter to my file that said I offended a client or something. So that that's the, and then there's longer term safety where you come around to your performance review and they say, we think your style of communication is too informal. Like, could you have told me that in February instead of November? It really would have made the rest of the year go well. Okay. You know, you let me send out a few memos in this style. I got the impression that it was okay. Now you're telling me it's not okay. What happened? Right, exactly. You know, when I studied levity, there were uh, 17 indicators that came out, sort of rose to the surface. And by the time this episode comes out, you should be able to go to leadwithlevity.com slash podcast and take a very quick little, little quiz to see if your workplace how it stands against those indicators. Some of those indicators include things like sincerity, 
smiles, people, you feel uplifted. So, and, and those are right in line with psychological safety. So I encourage you, if you're interested in finding out how does your environment have levity, go to leadwithlevity.com slash podcast and take the quiz, see where it stands, see how it's, how it scores against those indicators. Now, are you going to compare those scores for different types of organizations? The scores have, so the, the survey itself has gone out and to a global audience Mm -hmm. and they come from, they hail from different kinds of organizations. I have not tested intact or, well, actually, let me take that back. Let me take that back. The survey has gone out to intact organizations as well, but I don't have that data to share with you today. Okay. I just, the reason why I bring this up is I just wondered if there's a difference between, you know, the for-profit and the nonprofit culture and, you know, consulting firms versus manufacturing. Okay. This is where the, I'm sorry, this is where the recovering engineer comes in. Data must do something with data. Must right. Analyze exactly. Data. Exactly. Yeah. I see. I don't I see have a, industry data. I see a possible second podcast just on safety in the workplace with humor. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. People. People want to know what can I talk about, and that I continue to see comments on the internet where people are saying, "I used to joke a lot." But now I'm afraid. I'm afraid something's going to happen to me. Ah. And so I don't do it anymore. And that's the tragedy. Ah. So I think that when you don't practice humor and you just say, I'm going to cut this whole part of myself off, you're not getting the opportunity to build that skill set. So in in some ways, it's, it's, it's an aspect of communication. And Maybe you told a joke that was offensive. Maybe it wasn't funny. But if you say, okay, well, I'm just never going to tell jokes again, then you're never going to get better. And you're never going to find people who who you resonate with. You don't have an opportunity to find real authentic people who connect with you if you don't practice that, if you cut that part off. Right. Well, this hammer didn't help me turn that screw, so I better... You know, who needs a hammer anymore? Or, yeah. or I, I was, I was hammering a nail and I hit my finger. And so I'm never going to touch a hammer again. Yeah. And it's like, no, then you're never going to build anything again. Like, <laughs> that's bad logic, bad, bad logic. <laughs> <laughs> so Any this last has been words? such a pleasure. Oh yeah. Can you say that again, Heather? <laughs> this has been such a pleasure. Thank you both for inviting me to your podcast. And also thank you for joining me on the Lead with Levity podcast. (laughs) This has been good. This has been wonderful. Thank you so very much. I know that we could continue this conversation and it can go into so many different directions. And I just want to leave the listeners with this concept of start small, start where you are, find something that you can't you have to pay attention to and you love it you absolutely love it start there and make that a part of your day more frequently and then just see see where that takes you see how you feel at the end of the day see how other people around you feel at the end of the day start taking metrics and and analyzing your your life in that way and i guarantee you you're going to see some positive improvements. Especially if the day is Thursday. Especially Thursday. Mm -hmm. (laughs) No one's trying to hear it on Monday, but Thursday, yes, we need you. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, we want to thank you. And of course, people don't need to get a hold of you. They go to leadwithlevity.com. That's right. That's right. All right. right. Especially keep an eye on the podcast section for the survey on the indicators of of a healthy workplace. Yes. Yes. All right, y'all. Take care. All right. Thanks. You Thank too. You, Thank it. you. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to the Lead with Levity podcast. 
To get resources mentioned in this episode and find out what we're all about, check us out at leadwithlevity.com. Thank you for joining us for episode 94 with Dr. Heather Walker of the Lead with Levity podcast and our host, Jim Bob Williams and Katie B. Thank you very much. This has been Laugh Box, brought to you by the Association of Applied and Therapeutic Humor. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. Laugh Box is a production of the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. Visit us online at www.aath.org. Follow us on social media. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Music by Gary Rubio. For more information, www.garyrubiomusic.com. And we'll see you next time.